0: Thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 10th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Even before this summer's protests across the country calling for reforms of police departments in the U.S., dozens of states have been moving in the direction of reducing penalties for criminal infractions and making moves to make it easier for the formerly incarcerated to get their lives back. Robert Alt is president of the Buckeye Institute this week. We talked about his new research detailing how states altered their criminal codes in 2019 both the good and the bad. We're looking at 2019. A lot of reforms have happened in 2020, but we're not here to talk about those specifically. But what was the general trend in states uh, when it comes to uh, criminal justice reform? Well, I think I think overall there
1: was, while there are certain exceptions, um, the majority of states continued to liberalize their law, their criminal justice laws. And I think there were a few themes that you saw um that that earned support in multiple states so sentencing reform bail reform drug reform civil asset forfeiture reform and felon enfranchisement those were all big areas in 2019
0: so with respect specifically to felon enfranchisement i'm speaking to you from kentucky the governor of kentucky uh, signed an executive order restoring uh, a variety of rights to people who are were formerly incarcerated what did other states do so if
1: you take a look uh, uh uh illinois uh passed a law which directed illinois county jails and local election officials to establish uh, processes for allowing detainees who were awaiting trial to cast ballots by mail nevada uh uh passed a law maintaining the voting rights of those convicted of a crime who are not currently in prison, and it restored voting rights to those convicted of a a felony immediately upon the release. Um, New Jersey uh, also passed a law just before Christmas, uh, restoring voting rights to felons on probation and parole. Um, And then I I think that Probably the the state that got the most attention with regard to felon enfranchisement was Florida. So Florida in 2018 uh, had a ballot initiative, uh, which passed by a 64.5% supermajority, entitled the Voting Rights Restoration for Felons Initiative, which amended the state constitution. Um, So that went into effect. Then in June of 2019, Governor DeSantis signed uh, a law which required felons to repay all financial obligations associated with their criminal record, including court fees, fines, and restitution before they could regain the right to vote. That was challenged in a flurry of lawsuits uh, and uh, was enjoined. Um, Florida has appealed that decision to the 11th Circuit. So that's still we're still awaiting to see how that comes out. Um, But, uh, and then finally, Colorado uh, law previously barred felons serving prison terms or parole from voting or registering to vote in any election. The house there passed a bill in the summer of 2019, reenfranchising those serving a parole sentence by clarifying um, uh, certain features of the law.
0: Now on uh, drug reform uh, last year, Colorado and this is this is pretty striking really um reduced personal drug possession of fewer than four grams from a felony to a misdemeanor you might say but marijuana is legal there no this is schedule one drugs drugs that are uh defined by the dea as having no medical value and a high potential for abuse so that would include lsd peyote uh mushrooms heroin uh I guess cocaine is a schedule two drug technically. Uh, but other drugs, right, other and prescription drugs, which are typically schedule two or lower drugs.
1: Yes. So I I think this was probably the most sweeping uh, drug reform in the country. Um uh, as you noted, uh, up to four grams of Schedule 1 and Schedule 2, and Schedule 2 is more, uh, as you suggested, I mean, that really gets to sort of the opioids are included in that, and that reduces it to a misdemeanor. And the law, you know, expressly was intended to reduce incarceration for low-level drug offenders. Um, but, you know, unlike what we've seen in a lot of other states, which tended to limit uh, those those uh, reforms to uh, marijuana uh, in Colorado. Uh, this uh, again applied to Schedule One and Schedule Two. The, uh, marijuana. My understanding it, and I'd have to ver- look back at the law and verify. Did I think have criminal penalties for possession above certain levels in Colorado? And my my recollection, I'd have to verify, is that they increased those those levels as well. So this was sort of a you know broad across the board, uh, but. In in doing so, you're looking at Colorado joined six states that uh, that did drug reform in uh, uh, in 2019. So you had Illinois, for instance, which uh, you know they expressly they stated that they were looking to. Uh, to treat marijuana in a manner similar to alcohol. That was sort of their goal with regard to it. Um, uh, so they were one of, one of the multiple states. Hawaii uh, acknowledged that dozens of states have already decriminalized the use of medical marijuana uh, and therefore decriminalized possession up to three grams, but established that possession uh, of such amount is punishable by a $130 fine. Um, Florida relaxed its medical marijuana restrictions by redefining medical use, uh, to include, uh, uh, essentially smoking, uh, uh smokable forms of marijuana. Previously that hadn't been permitted under the medical marijuana statute. Um, and then, uh, New Mexico and New York also uh, engaged in in some reform of their their marijuana laws. New Mexico. Uh, reduced the penalties for first-time possession of up to a half an ounce uh, to a criminal misdemeanor, and New York amended its penal code to reduce penalties for first- and second-degree possession of marijuana products. So, so quite a bit of action with regard to drug reforms across the states in 2019.
0: All right. So um, some states strengthened uh, penalties, uh, Alaska, you noted as a big outlier. What did Alaska do? So Alaska, you know, it's sort of interesting, uh, it- Once again, most
1: states uh, took to liberalizing, but Alaska passed a comprehensive tough on crime bill. Uh, And my understanding is the governor specifically ran on that. He had emphasized in his election campaign in 2018 public safety and support for law enforcement after Alaska saw its crime rate increase in Anchorage uh, homicide uh, hit record levels in 2017, right, at, which was right after they had passed a uh, a, a previous criminal justice reform bill. So uh, essentially, the uh, the law passed in Alaska increases penalties for sex offenders. Uh, with regard to drug offenses. It returns distribution of narcotics, such as heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamines to higher level felonies, restores the state's earlier anti- methamphetamine manufacturing provisions. It also uh, enhanced sentences, shifted what was a class B misdemeanor previously was zero to 10 days is now zero to 90 days. So pretty much, you know, sort of uh, Increase the ratchet, you know, across the board, uh, you know, on a number of different, whether it's what classified as a crime, what the crime classification was, and what the sentences were for committing those crimes.
0: There uh, were a number of states that moved on, uh, I, I guess, child sex crimes, sex offender uh, crimes generally, and what can happen to those people's records in Tennessee Uh, you note that uh, the governor signed a law that effectively prohibits uh, a sex offender convicted of a crime involving a child from having an overnight visit in a home uh, in which a child resides. Now, however helpful that might be, it seems blatantly unconstitutional.
1: Well, Well, and and based upon that, uh, 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 your intuition, you know, ends up bearing out to what's happened in the courts. Uh, three plaintiffs challenged the statute on the grounds that violated their parental rights, uh, and a federal district judge temporarily enjoined the law, uh, in 2019. And it, uh, last time I checked, there's been no further action in that case, but that case got held up, uh, in, in a similar fashion, New York strengthened its protections for minors against felony sex offenders. Uh, In August of 2019, the state amended its domestic relations law uh, to create a rebuttable presumption that a child should not be placed in the custody of or have unsupervised visits with a person who has been convicted of a felony sex offense. Um, So uh, somewhat similar to uh, what what we saw in Tennessee there.
0: So what about uh, the expungement of criminal records? You note California, Colorado, Delaware, New Jersey... And West Virginia all made adjustments there. Before we get to what they did specifically, was there something in particular that was driving a lot of this or is this just a lot of states making uh, similar decisions about this?
1: I, I think part of this is, is sort of the next step that you see with regard to criminal justice reform. We, we've seen a lot of emphasis, I think, in the reform movement in recent years, a recognition that uh, a felony conviction oftentimes constitutes you know sort of a scarlet F on someone's record. Um, if you take a look at the collateral consequences that come from getting that felony conviction, uh, you know, in in a number of cases, you've got situations where maybe the legislature has made the determination that particular offenses should no longer even be classified as a felony, but you have individuals who have previous convictions uh, for those on their records. Um, they're still branded a felon that still goes with them when they're when they're seeking to get a, get employment or so forth, and the consequences of that can be pretty significant. So, do you know addressing that? The other issue that i think has motivated legislatures is just the sense that look you know if someone has actually if they've had a a a criminal offense but they've they've ended up keeping their nose clean for decades why is it that we're we're still hanging that over their heads uh, and and having that be an impairment in terms of their their ability, you know, to get jobs, housing, et cetera, where you know that may come up in their records? So so I think that's motivated it. The other thing is that California actually, uh, if you take a look, uh, passed a a swath of. Criminal reform bills uh, in in 2019, and expung- broad expungement uh, was one of them. There, they actually. Uh, require the state uh, to take the onus uh, to go through records and to remove uh, and to expunge criminal convictions. In most states, uh, the onus is upon the the, uh, the offender to go and, and to petition the court for that. Whereas in California, they actually, in a large number of cases, put the uh, uh, put the requirement on the state justice system to go ahead and go through and and. and institute those expungement proceedings themselves. Uh,
0: uh, One thing of note, um, Illinois, in legalizing, taxing, and regulating uh, marijuana uh, in a manner similar to alcohol, this was done by the General Assembly. This wasn't done by uh, a voter initiative, as it has been in most other states. Um, This sounds like uh, let's get rid of prohibition so we can make some money. Uh, <laughs> is that is that basically what Illinois did?
1: I think it, I think it was probably a combination of things. Yes, number one, I mean Illinois is drowning in a sea of red ink as we all know and, and in particular their, their pension systems are, are, are in dire shape. So um, they've been looking to raise taxes however they can. They, uh, I know they've been seeking a constitutional amendment to be able to modify the flat you know what's functioning the flat tax in that state. So, you know, this seemed like a cash cow to them, I'm sure. The other th- pressure, I think, that that weighed on Illinois' decision, this followed in 2018. You had, I believe it was, you saw the Citizens Initiative in Michigan uh, that legalized marijuana. And uh, as you recall, I think we were sitting together last year doing the recap of, of uh, state laws. And my, my one prediction was that Michigan was kind of the canary in the coal mine in terms of the trend line on this. It was your first state that was, you know, this was not, you know, a West Coast state. This wasn't, you know, Mountain High, Colorado. This was, you know, sort of a bread and butter Midwest state. And what seemed to motivate Michigan's legalization or decriminalization efforts uh, was Canada's and there was concern you know talking to folks in Michigan there seemed to be concern that if Canada had legalized marijuana that you would have residents going across uh, the border and they didn't want you know to have people you know sort of increasing the number of people who were driving you know, potentially driving under the influence or or the like and so they decided well better to go ahead and and you know reduce the regulations here in Michigan and that also seemed to motivate New York, by the way, uh, so a lot of the border states with Canada ended up uh, modifying it. But once Michigan went ahead, you know, I, I, I think you're you're going to see the other states start to tumble, yeah, you know, uh, as well. So Illinois, I think, was predictable based upon what happened last year with Michigan.
0: Yeah, you see the it's it, it's sort of a cascade where states next to states that have uh, legalized marijuana are either feeling the. Feeling a bit of uh, FOMO, perhaps, uh, when it comes to revenue, or that may may be driven by some legitimate safety concerns.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I think there are a variety, but that but Canada the 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 sort of uh, extrinsic pressure from Canada seems to have been a big motivating factor. Um, I, I but I think you know the other thing I think you've probably seen a tipping point uh, in terms of the debate. I, if you take a look, even the Trump administration came in and, um Uh, with, you know, uh, under General Sessions with, uh, you know, a much more tough on on drug crimes perspective. Um, But even they ended up softening their perspective. Again, keep in mind, uh, it it is kind of a hash, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, in terms of the federal state relationship on this, you still have the federal crimes on the books. Um, You just have a general policy of non-enforcement in states that have relaxed their uh, uh, policy with regard to marijuana, but you know, at, uh, you know, prior to I think uh, uh, recent actions in Michigan and elsewhere, yeah, I, I think there had been a general concern that at some point the feds could go ahead and flip the switch and and resume prosecutions uh, with regard to uh, uh, states that had medical or recreational marijuana. I think at this point there are so many states that have changed their policy; it would be very difficult uh, to have that happen. Ultimately, I think to get continuity, the, though, this is going to require Congress to take action uh, on on this and to revise federal policy. But uh, you know, given the number of states that have that have liberalized their policy, it, it just it 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 just doesn't seem. Likely that you're going to see the ratchet go back the other way.
0: Robert Alt is president of Ohio's Buckeye Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.